Hear the word of God, following the proclamation of the good news of Jesus throughout the Bible, starting with Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Um, Isaiah chapters 41 and 42. I was the first to tell Zion, look, help is on the way. I will send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. Not one of your idols told you this. Not one gave any answer when I asked. See, those are all foolish, worthless things. All your idols are as empty as the wind. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God, the Lord, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations." You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison. Isaiah 52. But I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. Then, at last, they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their very eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted 
and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And now to the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Uh, Matthew, chapter 11. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John, tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Matthew 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And now to Mark's gospel, chapter one. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And now, to a selection of Paul's letters, starting with Romans chapter 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And finally, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, 
just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tonya. And for those of you who are new, that's the longest passage we've ever read here at Waypoint. And I didn't even realize it was as long as I was collecting it. Um, The reason for it is I wanted to take you on every time the good news is mentioned from Isaiah through Paul's letters, because as I present this weighty topic of what is the gospel, I wanted God's words to be primary and my words to be secondary. Um, So... That was a journey through the gospel. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint. Sorry for the flickering on the screen. I hope it's corrected, but either way, we're going to hear God's word and learn about the gospel. So Waypoint's vision, we'll put this up. So Waypoint Church, if you go on our website, it says, Waypoint Church exists to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. And every year in August, we come together before the school year starts, and we, we do a sermon series on Waypoint's vision and values, where we pick various things that we feel God is calling us to, to teach on. And for the next three weeks, we're going to teach on the gospel, and this term for the sake of the gospel. And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that this is based on. It says, to the weak I become weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. If you do something for the sake of something, you do it for the purpose in order to achieve the result of the thing you're doing it for the sake of. And we believe that the gospel is worth it. We believe the church exists because of the gospel And we believe the church exists to share the gospel, and we believe the church exists to share in the blessing of the gospel. Next week, uh, Pastor Lawrence is going to preach on Waypoint's continued vision, the gospel to the triangle of the nations, and Pastor Eric will preach the next week on the gospel community. Today is going to be a little more of an overview of the gospel from the text. So it's going to be a little more like coming to class, but I'm trying to keep it not boring. I want to be the cool teacher who's not boring because this is the most exciting news in the history of the world. So I want to be faithful to the text, but I also want you to, I want you to walk away from this sermon super excited because you just were reminded of the best news there is. Like nothing else matters in your life other than that train of news that you just heard, that good news that was mentioned from Isaiah through, through Paul's letters. Um, Today we're going to talk about where you came from, where you're going, and I have good news that it's good news. I know where you came from, and I know where you're going. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I know for a fact we can be assured that it's good news. Um, This is the good news we hope for, and this is the good news that we get to share in its blessing. So here's the five things I'm going to talk about today. The gospel is Trinitarian. The gospel is covenantal. The gospel is historical. The gospel is cosmic, and the gospel is personal. That's where we're headed. I'm walking through the tenets of the gospel. If you were to go online and do a web search and type in what are, what's the gospel, 
some of the common threads you might get is the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is true. I actually gave the last sermon in our sermon series in Mark, I gave a sermon basically saying that the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can go back on our podcast channel and listen to that if you want to. I, uh, the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because that's how we hear the good news. You might also, on, if you looked up what is the gospel, you might hear about how Jesus came to save sinners or the similar theme of that we are made right with God. A lot of the focus of it is justification. Others might link the gospel to Isaiah and the idea that Jesus is the reigning king, the king of David, the king in the line of David, because all the times Paul uses the reference, he refers back to David. And all these things are true. Because the gospel is comprehensive. The gospel is the good news that saves us. And the power of the gospel sends us out and is drawing people to God. And we're a witness of that power today. So before I go into the five tenets, I just want to look at this really great definition. So sometimes I like to, to teach what would the original audience, what would the original audience want, think when they heard the word gospel? So imagine you're sitting in a church in Ephesus in 45 uh, AD. What, when they heard this word, what would they think? And this is from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. And he, he, he argues that the word gospel means good news. And um, so we, it's our English word gospel. It means good news. But they would also simultaneously use the term message and word. Uh, the early church would, would use those together. But the idea of good news for which an older English word is gospel, had two principal meetings for first century Jews. First, with its roots in Isaiah, the passages that we read earlier, it meant the news of Yahweh, of, of God, the Lord's, long-awaited victory over evil and rescue of his people. Second, it was used in the Roman world for the uh, accession or birthday of the emperor. Since Jesus and Paul's announcement of God's inbreaking kingdom was both the fulfillment of prophecy and a challenge to the world's present rulers, gospel became an important shorthand for both the message of Jesus himself and the apostolic message about, about him. Paul saw this message as itself the vehicle of God's saving power. The four canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus in such a way as to bring out both of these aspects, unlike some, other, some so-called gospels that were circulating in the second and third centuries, which tended to both cut off scriptural and Jewish roots of Jesus' achievements. Um, I won't read the rest of that parentheses, but basically there are other gospels out there, but we as Christians believe, I mean, they call them gospels, and they were these other things written about Jesus centuries later, supposedly telling the story, but we know that the four gospels are the true gospels because of what they say and because of the, the way they were passed down to us. So that's what he's, he's going on there. He's saying that those are false gospels, but the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are what we cling to as the church. Since in Isaiah, this creative, life-giving good news was seen as God's own powerful word, the early Christians could use the word word or message as another shorthand for the basic Christian proclamation. So that's what good news meant. So actually, there are inscriptions all over the Roman world using the term gospel. There's a really important one that a lot of uh, Bible scholars turn to. It's in modern-day Turkey. And Turkey and Italy are kind of, Rome are kind of far apart. And the inscription is celebrating Augustus Caesar's birthday. 
And it's using language like Paul and Isaiah use, using this term of good news to proclaim the birthday of, of the deity of God. And they called Augustus God. So that's the language was in the Roman context was to proclaim good news and victory that our armies have won or to proclaim that a king what has, is in power or that a king is now God or emperor is now like God. So that's how they would have thought of the word. They knew the Isaiah context and they also knew the Roman context. The gospel is Trinitarian. Trinitarian just means of the Trinity. We as Christians believe that God is one and he is three in one. He is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is Jesus. And we believe three people, one God. In Mark 1, 9 through 15, one day Jesus came from Galilee. John baptized him in the Jordan River. This is the passage we read earlier. And you see, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit. So there's Jesus there, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Father starts this process. And then he tells us about the good news. So the Father sends the Son, and the Spirit fills the Son, and then the Son goes out and proclaims the message. You see, all three members of the Trinity are there. Jump ahead to John 15. Jesus says, as he knows he's going to go to his death and die, and he knows he'll rise again, he says, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me. And then he goes on and he says, but very truly I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm going to stop there, but... Just think about this. Jesus told his disciples, it's better for me to leave than to stay. Partly there's twofold to that answer. One is he knew he had to leave so that he could rise again. But even after he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven and pours out the spirit on the church. Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that the spirit will come. And this word advocate, that's how the NIV translates it. It's one of the coolest words because it's a, it's a multifaceted word in, in the Greek language, and it means advocate. It, it can mean counselor, comforter, or guide. How many of you want an advocate, comforter, guide? You hear about these life coaches now? Like, the Spirit is the ultimate life coach. And we as the church, as all these different people filled with the Spirit, get to love and encourage and build on each other. So look to the person next to you and say, thanks for being my life coach, you know? I, I say that sarcastically, kind of humorously, but God, each person in here, each person who has Jesus is sealed with the Spirit. So I, ju- I just want you to remember, when you think about sharing the gospel with somebody, don't sell it short and not tell them that they get God's Spirit. We get the forgiveness of sins, the finished work of Christ on the cross. God saves us through the work of Jesus, so, and we're sealed when we accept Christ with the Spirit and we get the Holy Spirit. This is part of the good news. So I never want us to think, a lot of times when people think of the gospel, it's not Trinitarian. They're just thinking of the Son. And the Son is the agent of the gospel that God uses because God had to enter into human history. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, 
enters into human history 2,000 years ago to save us. So that, that is the gospel. That's the good news. But Jesus says, I got to go so the Spirit will come. And that's the good news too. So gospel is Trinitarian. Some of you might be like, I'm really confused about this Trinity thing. Uh, good news. Waypoint Academy is back. Post-COVID, we had it a little bit before COVID. We did Old Testament survey, New Testament survey. But in a couple weeks, on two different Monday nights, I'm going to just teach a summary of what is Trinity. So you guys can come and check that out. It'll be out posted on the Realm and other, other ways, so you can, you can hear about that one. Two, the gospel is covenantal. This is the second tenet. Okay, what's a covenant? It's, a, it's an agreement... In the, in the Old Testament times, it was agreement between a greater king and a smaller king. And the greater king was like, I'll protect you, smaller king, in your kingdom if you pay tribute to me, normally through taxes. That's the, the major covenant that would have around at the time of when, the, when Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus are written. That's the kind of covenant. So when God says he enters into a covenant, obviously Abraham knows that he's the lower guy, and God's the guy with more stuff, with more resources. So when God makes covenants in the Old Testament, he's making this promise. But the amazing thing about the covenants, let's put them up. This is from my Old Testament survey class. That's why it kind of looks like that parchment paper-ish thing. Uh, but I just found that randomly on like on PowerPoint. But uh, the major covenants of the Old Testament, so there's the covenant of works and that's where Adam and Eve got the command from God before they sinned. The covenant of grace, after they sinned, God says, I still love you, and I'll, I made a covenant with Adam and Eve that I, even in their sin, I'm going to send someone to save them. And then there's a covenant with Noah. And then the important, and the important covenant is the universal... The covenant with Noah is God says, never again will I destroy the creation. So it's more... It's, it's saying that I won't destroy the creation, even though you guys sinned against me and you deserve it. And then God makes this covenant with Abraham. And in the covenant with Abraham, he says, I will bless you and make a great nation of you. And I will restore the broken sin of the people who went before you. But you're not going to do it. It's going to be done through you and through your line. You just have to trust me. An amazing thing, the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham, God takes both sides of the deal. He says, if you fail, I'll get killed. The covenant with Noah is done by a rainbow. Well, if you think about it, it's, and it's actually the word bow, like bow and arrow. If you think about a covenant and you think about a bow, if God was going to point the bow at them, if God was going to point the bow at one direction, wouldn't he point it down at them? Like if you mess up, gotcha. Right? But where is the bow pointed? It's pointed back at God. If we mess up, God will still fulfill both ends of the covenant and take the penalty so that we can be free and we can be broken of the, the even though we broke the covenant, God would honor his part. The Abrahamic covenant has the same thing. I can't go into it here. Then God makes a covenant with Moses. We talked a lot about that in Galatians series. And God makes a kingly covenant with David and then he makes a new covenant starting in Isaiah and really expounding upon it in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And we learn in Jesus that this is the new covenant that we're participating in. And when we take communion today, we're going to be participating in this new covenant. In 
the passage I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, I had Tony read. It says, I pass on to you what was most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And then in this very short summary of the gospel, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is my gospel. He's including two things. He's including the death, the, the death and resurrection of Christ, and the kingly reign of Christ, the descendant of David. So when Paul gives the shortest summary of the gospel, he includes these two things, the saving death of Christ and the kingly reign of David. The gospel is covenantal because God is making covenant. All right, for time's sake, I'm going to jump ahead to the gospel is historical. So for my slide, guys, you see that one? The third tenet is the gospel is historical. I want to take you to a one-sentence summary of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The, the creator God is faithful to his covenant promises and redeems humanity through the promise line despite their sin and rebellion. The good news started when humanity started. This, that's the theme of the first book of the Bible. It's still the theme of us today. The covenant God is saving his people despite of our sin and rebellion against him. The gospel starts when history starts. There are only two kingdoms. Once Adam and Eve and in the garden, the sin was broken. There's only two kingdoms that you can be a part of. You can be a part of the kingdom of this world that's ruled by the prince of this world, the deceiver, Satan. Or you can move toward the kingdom of God. The kingdom that starts in this pattern in the Old Testament. So the pattern of the kingdom is Eden. Then the perished kingdom. We lose the kingdom. And that's in Genesis, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Then the promised kingdom. God makes a covenant with Abraham and he, he gets us to Moses and he makes a covenant with Moses. Then the partial kingdom. God creates an actual earthly kingdom that's supposed to be the light to the nations from Joshua to King Solomon. King Solomon fails, the kingdom starts crumbling, the earthly kingdom crumbles, and God sends the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, who promised the new kingdom. Then John the Baptist is the last prophet, and he comes and he proclaims the kingdom, and Jesus inaugurates the kingdom when he says, repent, the good news is near, the good news is at hand. Then Jesus ascends to heaven, the Spirit comes down, and there's the proclaimed kingdom. That's what we're part of right now. You guys are part of the proclaimed kingdom. We are, we are Christ's church as the proclaimed kingdom. And then one day, the perfected kingdom. God will make all things right and new. The gospel is historical. It's your story. It's my story. It's God is doing something throughout history. These covenants aren't just random words on a page of an old document. They're promises that God made throughout human history to save people, and we continue to rebel against him. After we do this three-week sermon series on uh, the gospel, we're, gonna go, we're, we're going through the whole Bible in 10 years, y'all, so we're going to see the dirt and the brokenness of the people who went before us. And it's examples of all the dirt and brokenness that exists that, among us when we don't yield to Christ. But we're going to look at Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And we're going to see all the brokenness. But every time, we're going to continue to see God's covenant faithfulness. 
Remember, the gospel is historical. God's been doing something. It didn't just start with you. You're part of it. But it didn't just start with you. It didn't start with me. It started long ago because God knew that if we had the opportunity to sin, we would grasp it. I was in a cab ride. This is really cool. I, uh, I'm signed up. There's a small group of us, six of us, going to the Gambia in November. It's our first trip since COVID. We have this awesome partnership that God opened the door for about six years ago. There's six of us going, and I'd never been to West Africa. So a little, you know, I'm excited. It's not the part of the world that I've actually spent a lot of time in. And I was praying. I was like, God, just give me some affirmation. Comfort me. I never take Uber from the airport, but it was like midnight, so I took the Uber home. My driver's from the Gambia. You know, and he says to me, he says, I left 15 years ago. He's like, I had a good life there. I love it there. But our leader, he started off as a good leader like 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And he really helped the country. But then he, he got greedy and selfish. And he really just was out for his own family. And, he, and then at that point, all the doctors and all the, a lot of the educated people left. Interesting thing, he's like, why are you going? And I said, well, our church is partnering there just to... Uh, there's a lot of doctors and a lot of educated people in the triangle, and we have access to them, and we just want to be part of this. The old president has resigned, stepped down, and there's, there's buzz for new change in the country, and we just want to send resources there, doctors and educators, and just see what God can do. And he said, thank you. But I bring this story up for two reasons. One is that the gospel is going out, and two, the gospel also exposes that and anybody, even with good intentions, will eventually turn back towards selfishness. And the gospel continues to reorient us. And history is just the story of a broken humanity trying to seize power from God themselves. And God intervening and, and saying, no, turn back to me. So the gospel is historical. The gospel is your story. We are part of this partial, of this proclaimed kingdom now. And we get to be part of the perfected kingdom when Jesus comes back. And amazingly, when you look at the new heavens and the new earth, the first time it's mentioned in the Bible isn't in Revelation. It's actually mentioned 600 years before Jesus comes as part of this proclamation of the good news in Isaiah 65. God is working through history. Four, the gospel is cosmic. New Testament scholar Karen Jobes says this about the first phrase in John's gospel. In the beginning, which is the first phrase in John's gospel. The fourth gospel begins with the direct allusion to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This allusion would have been immediately apparent to anyone even somewhat familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. And it would have been a striking parallel drawing the reader's mind back to creation. This flashback to the primeval Time sets the story of the significance of Jesus within the realm of the divine, and it's John's first statement of the divinity of the Word became flesh. Furthermore, the evangelist here introduces a major theme of his gospel, the recreation of the cosmos that is inaugurated by Jesus, or in Jesus, the Messiah. In Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, Paul says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ 
to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What happened on the cross, what happened through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it's personal. It saved you, it saved me, but it's also cosmic. It's part of the renewing of all creation. The world is broken, and we, we don't know how to fix it sometimes. We're like, what should we do? Everyone's, there's a lot of solutions out there, and if you feel called to fight in one of these solutions, go fight with them and ask God for wisdom in that. But we as Christians need to be fighting toward the renewal of creation, primarily through loving one another, looking at the best in others, and asking God, what does it mean for me to be part of this new creation? In Romans 8, I'll jump ahead to, or I'll start in 18, it says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, by, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, again, this Trinitarian idea of the gospel, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship by the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. This is good news, guys. God is restoring the creation, and he's doing it now in us and through us. I'll jump ahead. Now I'm going to move to a passage that moves from the cosmicness. That's not a real word because Spellcheck underlined it. The cosmicness of the gospel to the personalness of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So this is personal, but it's also plural. One thing about the New Testament Y'all, I'm going to use the word y'all, is a lot of times when it says you, it's a plural you. So, and we, because we're individualistic Americans, read it as me. Like when Jesus says, you know, the spirit will guide you into all truth. He's talking about the church, like a group of y'all. And sometimes that's hard to see, but this you can be considered as individual, but also us as the church, a group of people who were dead in our transgressions and now we've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking as that's a reality. Like actually when we think of worship service, when you think of this service this morning right now, almost like you can imagine yourself like you're in heaven. Like this is a preview. Lawrence loves to say this is a preview of the coming attraction. But actually this is, we're here. Like we are participating in the things of heaven right now that's what Paul's saying. Like By being raised with Christ, by accepting Christ and accepting his Lord and Savior, we are entering into the presence of heaven in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in us, to us in Christ Jesus. You see how he's linking the cosmicness of it, showing us that it's, it's about us, but it's also about 
we're part of something bigger. That for God so loves the world that he gave us one only son. The world is the cosmos. It, it means the people in the world. It means the sinfulness of the world. But it also means the broken, the, the whole thing. Jesus is restoring all things. The gospel is personal. Have you ever, so we have a newer car and they do free oil changes at the dealership. So I never go to the dealership because I'm kind of cheap. They charge more. Sorry, Caleb. Uh, we, have, we have someone actually is a mechanic at a dealership. But uh, uh, I never go to the dealership because they charge more. But while I'm waiting, one time I'm out in the lobby and I'm looking at this awesome truck, you know, Toyota Tacoma. And the guy's like, sees me there. Well, what does a salesman do when he sees someone looking at a truck? He's all excited, you know. Uh, and he gives me the good news, the pitch of how awesome this truck is. But there's a problem. I can't afford it. I, I have no ability to buy this. Trucks are really expensive these days, y'all. I was like, wow. I mean, it was a cool truck. I have no ability to buy this truck. But here's the good news about the good news, the gospel. We can hear about how great it is, and it's already been purchased for us. It's already been purchased for us. Never forget that. Like you can hear about the grandness of God and, and, and the things he's done for us and what he's doing in the world and know that he has done it. It's already been bought. What if someone just handed me the keys and said, hey, that other guy over there thought you looked like a nice guy. The manager thought you looked nice, so he just gave you the car. Here's the title. I mean, I would be ecstatic. But we've been given the keys to the kingdom, literally. We get all of this because of God's faithfulness in sending his son and pouring his spirit on us. The good news is that God is renewing, redeeming, and reconciling the whole creation, making all things new, and you and I are part of this reconciliation. The gospel tells us that we can be new creations in Christ. From the fountain of youth, you guys know about the fountain of youth? Ponce de Leon and all that. And they, too. Have you ever heard of this thing called cryonics, where rich people freeze their bodies to, uh, and actually, most cryonic companies that started in the 70s went out of business. So, like, they couldn't keep freezing the bodies. It's pretty crazy. But there are rich people who pay up to $200,000. This is from the internet. Uh, <laughs> Cryonics is low temperature freezing, usually at negative 196 Celsius, and storage of human remains with the speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the future. You don't have to spend 200,000, y'all. It's possible. It's going to happen. You will be risen. You will come back from the dead. We will be rise with Christ. But Paul says we're already risen with Christ now. It's really cool. We looked at Galatians 6 last week, and Paul says... At the end, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. And that word creation is the same word that Paul uses in Romans when he's talking about the whole thing. Like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, we're new creations and the whole thing's being made new. I'm supposed to tell a story when I give a sermon, because you're, you know, you're, and I'm supposed to tell you about this guy who was down in the dumps and found God and but I'm not going to do that because that's all of us. Every one of us has that story. We all needed God and God found us. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. 
you will be raised again. We will have, we can have hope now and we have hope for the future. So instead of me telling a story, I'm just going to tell two stories that Jesus tells. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. For my guys, that's not on a slide, so don't freak out. Sorry, you ever play Guitar Hero and you got to like keep up with the beat? When I preach, the poor guys back there, it's like you got to... You got to really follow my slides. Sorry, I don't want to take away from the words of Jesus. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for the choice pearl, the best pearl. When he discovers the pearl of great value, he sells everything he owns and bought it. So that's my story for the day. Sell everything you own to buy this. Everything. Nothing in life is worth it. This is it. The good news. In, um, let me make sure I got the right passage. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive the Lord's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And the day of my salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I brought this passage in because Paul is showing how we're new creations, but he's using the language of how God is reconciling everything and he's reconciling us back to God. That's the good news. I'm going to end with that and I'm going to pray and we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. God, I thank you for this whirlwind tour of the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is Trinitarian, that the gospel is about the covenants that you made with us, that the gospel is historical, that we're part of it. We're part of this history. I thank you that the gospel is cosmic, that you're transforming all things, that we can trust you to renew the creation And I thank you that the gospel is personal, that it saves us. I pray as we prepare our hearts to honor and delight in and thank you for the new covenant we have in your blood, that you would just show us how to be a gospel community. And if there's anyone here who does not understand the good news, that they would talk to the person next to them or talk to someone on the prayer team afterwards, that they would know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we we can know that we are made right with God and that we are part of your plan, and that you gave us this good news. And God, I pray for those who already know you, that they would grasp onto it like the thing we've been searching for our whole lives, that this would be our priority, that we would know you, and you crucified, and you risen, and that your spirit is giving us all that we need to love you, and to serve you, and to be your body. And we look forward and long for the day when you come back and make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. And I pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
What could be more fitting in response to hearing the cosmic scale of the gospel than for us to take communion together? And I love what Pastor Danny was saying about how big the gospel is, how personal the gospel is, but I also want you guys to know one other thing, how communal the gospel is. And Pastor Danny did say that a lot of the, the you passages there, it's, it's a y'all passage, which I'm, that's not a word I actually use. I don't use y'all. But for you guys, I will use y'all this morning. Because the gospel is also communal. One of the beautiful elements of the gospel is that it brings people together into a family and into a body. That's what I love about this meal that we get to take together. We're not taking just an individual meal where you're coming by yourself and saying, okay, just me and God, I gotta get right with God, I'm good with God, all this kind of stuff. I'm saying this is a family feast together. That's what communion is. And we're saying in the life of the church, in the body together, our local body is coming together and we're saying that we feast on the words and on the body and the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. We're saying that our sustenance as a body that brings us together is Jesus. We're saying the gospel brings people like us, people like me, sinners who are from all different walks of life, from different backgrounds, different situations, but they bring us together as one body and we celebrate that over a feast together. And the invitation is for those of you who know Jesus to come to this table and come and feast. Now I know you're looking at me like, Lawrence, the amount you give me, that's not quite a feast. I get that. I understand that. But I also want you to know, I want you to hear that it is a feast for our souls. It is a feast for our hearts as we feast on the very words, the very message, the very truth of the gospel that you will be more satisfied than in any delicious meal you've had anywhere else. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? There's something so profound, something so beautiful, something so incredible in the work of God that he's called us to say in family, in community, together as one body, eat and be full. Be satisfied. So that's what we get to do today. We get to celebrate the work of Jesus and the gospel. That's the work of a, a Trinitarian God. And so Jesus, the day that he was betrayed, he, he took the bread, he broke it. And as he broke it, he passed it out to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he drank from it. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is the blood shed for you. He says, do this. He said, do this as we honor, as we remember, as we receive this means of grace as a family feast together. I want to invite the servers to come on up here as they get prepared. I want to go over a few instructions for those of you who don't kind of know how we do things here. Here we're practicing intinction today as our means of receiving this meal. And so for those, what that means, for those in this row who are ready to receive, you'll come down to this station and you'll receive the bread and you'll dip it into the cup and go that way. For those in that section, the same. There's some people over there. This section, there are people here. You'll come down the center aisle, receive it, dip into the cup, and then go to that aisle. And then the same for that section right here. You'll come up over here, receive, and then go back that way. And as we do this, guys, I know this isn't a time of we're sitting around a dining room table. And there are times that we'll be doing that. But we're not around a dining room table. We don't have a bunch of steak and awesome food out there, guys, that satisfy our, our bodies. But guys, can you come? I want you to truly come and experience how this will satisfy your soul. As we receive this means of grace as a family together. I also invite you to, to, to pray. I invite you to say, God, if there's anything keeping me from my brother and sister, may I forgive them. 
may I be forgiven by the work of Jesus. So let's pray together, then let's receive communion. God, thank you for this, this meal, this family meal that we get to take together that satisfies our souls. God, that's what you do, you satisfy us. God, you, you let us be known and loved and you call us to purpose. So as we partake of this meal together, will you continue to unite us as a family and as a body? We will take this communal feast together as you call us to, to be a church that feasts together. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to come and receive.